0: The International IVF Initiative is a worldwide non-profit education project for the assisted reproductive technologies community, sharing scientific and practical knowledge for embryologists, reproductive scientists, and anyone working in the ART community. Each episode will share an insight into the world of IVF, along with profiles of legends within the world of ART, latest news and wisdom from our community. Here's your host, Giles Palmer. Welcome to this episode of the i3 podcast, where we go beyond the webinar and we continue our focus on Ukraine here at the International IVF Initiative. Now, we've been following the amazing efforts of three Ukrainian embryologists and their team to safely move frozen gametes and embryos out of Ukraine. And if you haven't heard the previous episode, do go back and have a listen. Now the i3 team wanted to host a discussion for the embryology community to come and hear more from this extraordinary group and you will hear another insightful conversation which remains so professional, focusing on safety rather than being negative about the war. It just shows such incredible bravery and also solidarity within the world of embryology. There has been an enormous global response to what has happened to these Ukrainian embryologists who have been displaced by the conflict and a huge uptake from industry leaders to help this highly skilled group find jobs. Sister clinics and those in neighbouring countries have been reaching out to help and patient support has been maintained despite clinics having to close. Technology has meant communication channels have remained as open as possible And to give you an idea of the work that's been happening, samples have so far been relocated to Slovakia, Sweden and Turkey. It's remarkable. So you're going to hear the after party from the main webinar, which we'll make sure there is a link to in the show notes. And as part of this episode, we've also included a snippet from it, which was with conflict expert Tim Sharp, who shared his experience and insight into this difficult situation. And you'll hear the conversation discussed further in the after party. So let's get stuck in, because you're gonna hear first from Jacques Cohen and Giles Palmer from I3 in the pre-meeting with Dr. Pavlo Mazur, Dr. Uliana Dorofieva, Olena Novikova, and Dr. Olga Chaplia, talking about how they are feeling about their careers and what to do next.
1: We wanna do this today and if in two weeks time, there needs to be a follow-up, we'll do that. It's comparable to how we started as International IVF Initiative. We started in response to the pandemic and and the fact that in in a lot of Western countries, uh, everything came to a stop and the clinics were closed. And so it is a little comparable to that. It was an alarming situation with no end in sight. And so that's how we started. We started really a week after the lockdown started in Western Europe, about a week, 10 days after that, we started. Um, And we thought that we were in a position of a similarity here. I can't say it's worse or not. Probably is in some respects, and others it may not be. I'm not sure. Obviously, there are a lot of people dying. A lot of innocent people are dying. And uh, all normal interaction, normal traffic in a society has come to a stop well, nearly a stop in, in the Ukraine. And it's an unheard situation that we haven't seen in Europe since World War Two. And so since it's 70 years, 75 years later, this is a very serious situation. And serious in all levels, but particularly also serious because of the work we do. And that's what we're trying to report on, on Tuesday. Uh, and, and we'll react to question and answers. War is often confused with politics. I don't think it is. I think it's beyond, well beyond politics. Politics plays out. And that is a game that works more or less. Here it stopped working. And, uh, and that's very, very, very sad and, and, and cruel. We will emphasize the embryology aspects here. What do you do as a clinic? And how do you prepare for next week or tomorrow? How do you prepare for tomorrow, next week and the next months, and the next year? What do you do? So I think that's that. Those are the central topics here: the gravity of a situation like this. I mean, this has never happened to embryologists. M- maybe once or twice before, in localities like in the former Yugoslav Republic, it may have happened, but it certainly never made it to the front page. Now disasters have, like when there was a major earthquake in Northridge, California, in early 1990s. Clinics were destroyed, and, and in some cases, ewers uh, with frozen embryos were. Affected, And so certainly there have been hurricanes and yeah, things happen. Uh, obviously, obviously there are natural phenomena that can cause temporary shutdown, but there's nothing ever been on this level. So that's what we want to get across. People will be curious about this topic.
2: There has been comments that by talking about uh, Ukraine, it seems racist in some senses because there are other conflicts going on and there's not that much attention. So some people are saying it's a white European war and i was thinking about finding people i know it's laughable
3: yes, sorry and i
2: was trying to find people with like syria but hand in my heart i don't know of any situations that have been like this plus you know i know you know a lot of people you know i, I, I know you pavlo i know other people in this region and that's what we're you know like we're reaching out to you and it's happening now and that's what we have to talk about it. So I think yeah. we can. We don't have to apologize that we're not covering any other places. I went and had a look at conflicts. Yeah,
3: that's fair. Coming. That's that's fair. That's completely fair. It's. Uh, but you know, uh, I I always feel this pressure for myself because I'm, uh, you know, white male. But on the other hand, this is a Western culture, and again, they they just don't care about such countries in Eastern Europe like Ukraine. And I've always been like a white trash for well uh it's a low class of people and i've struggled the, the most part of my life and no one cares in uh, like western culture because well they look at your skin color and they don't care about the background of your whole life but here in eastern europe in eastern europe it's uh very different from the people just get acquainted with in their normal life in some western culture world so yeah uh, but for sure you should mention that yeah we are sorry for being here at this situation for now and we do not cover all the other world because well we're a small part of this world and it happens now here.
1: Olga and Pavlo, why do you think uh, Ukrainian clinics have flourished so much over the years? Is it the lack of uh, oversight? Is it the staff is very talented, people are very educated, of course very high educational level In the Ukraine, and maybe a lot of interest in biology, medicine.
2: There's some strong university towns in Ukraine, isn't there? And I think they have master's courses for embryology.
3: Well, we had it before war started. It was uh, the first graduation this year, it was uh, from uh, from our uh, university with this uh, degree, well, with this profession, speciality for embryologists.
1: Why is it that there are so many, uh, so much effort, particularly from, by other physicians from other countries, is there clinics there that are meant and operated by Israelis, uh, several of those uh, have been for many years, uh, there are surrogate clinics in the Ukraine. Why, why do you think there is this? Why, why does it not happen in Hungary or Poland? Why is, why is this in the Ukraine?
3: Well, it's, uh, may may I speak for myself for for a second, yeah? Yeah. Well, there are two main things here in Ukraine. First, we have very good (laughs) oocytes. And... (laughs) and the second one the prices here are quite low so yeah the 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 people are going to ukraine well they went to ukraine for for a good quality help uh, with a lower price than it can be in hungary as you said because you know the legislations here is quite loosey so we can make all these things for almost everyone uh, for a good price so it's much cheaper in ukraine with a relatively high quality
1: yeah so comparison because of course the examples i gave like hungary and poland because the, those are eu countries and that already right. of course makes it a very difficult difficult and different economy normally it, when, when you were operating uh, and doing ivf in ukraine and hopefully that will restart at some point Soon in the future, sooner the better. When you operate, any problems with importing plenty of local representatives that represent the major companies? Any problems with that? Is that also maybe easier in the Ukraine and let's say Poland or Greece? Or would you say it's, it's as easy as anywhere else or as difficult as anywhere else? How difficult is it to get uh, um, instruments for IVF, like a, like a time-lapse incubator? How difficult is it to get disposables?
4: Extremely easy I would say easy. You make easy. an order you just pay and you get it quite quickly okay. of course you have in some situations you have to wait because they are not in in storage so yeah. but just if you have money you pay you get it and, and when, when you say
1: you pay you, you, you go to a distributor is that is that yeah. how it works like in most other countries so it's the, it's, your, it's your normal your normal IVF situation where there's there's plenty of freedom. Uh, there are distributors. They are cooperative, and if it's in stock, you'll get it quickly. If it's not in stock, it will be ordered immediately, and 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 it's very international, very reachable. Yeah, it's part it's part of the Western world, and uh, so yeah, this has changed, of course. Yeah, okay. I think that that people like to know things like this um, um, I, because that's that's certainly the impression I've always had. Um, of, of um, Ukrainian embryology.
4: So I wanted to add that there is uh, one more reason why actually IVF is such uh, highly developed in Ukraine, because mainly it is like, it's not a governmental institution. Absolute majority of all the clinics in Ukraine, they are owned by private business. So the competition forces clinics to buy new equipment, to hire good stuff, to educate their personal and to do it continuously, because otherwise you just lose this like uh, rivalry. And that's why a lot of clinics, they try so hard to be up to date. Well, and that, that, that also helps.
3: That's exactly like it should be in USA, I guess, right? Well, at least Dr. zukin said it for us uh, every meeting that we're very similar to U.S. model. model.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I think we have plenty of regulation. You know, we're we're regulated by HICFA government. Uh, we're regulated by the FDA, by the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, Food and Drug Administration (FDA). There are many different regulatory levels. There is not a single regulator, which is the case in Australia, I think, uh, New Zealand, Canada, and particularly that is the case in uh, in the UK. That we don't have, What we do have is established. Uh, medical regulatory agencies that oversee drugs or the development of instruments, and so there's plenty of regulation. Um, it's just that um, 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 that um, uh, I, th- I think there certainly is the freedom to practice medicine, and we're talking here about the freedom to practice medicine. In the Ukraine, there's the freedom to practice medicine.
3: Yeah, sure, but uh, on the other hand, most of your clinics are private, so yeah, so yeah, and I'd, they uh, compete.
1: compete yeah i For think sure, yeah. The, i think in the states you 're right and the states are quite a, i, I can 't really say or state that uh, private clinics are more successful than university based or hospital based clinics i don 't think that is the case, but it 's certainly the networks that have come in and have bought all these different ivf clinics. Uh, They've made a difference, and I, I think the majority of clinics are probably private-based in the United States. But there are still plenty of hospital-based clinics, as well as the universities all have IVF institutions, but they do not go out and then necessarily expand, depending on the situation. Sometimes they, they have that ability, but most of the time there's some restriction. But you're right, there's a lot of cli- private private medicine in the United States, and in that way it's maybe comparable, more comparable to the Ukraine
2: there's a response you know already for social media just you know with inquiries and what's going on so we predict that this will be the same you know you've got to support all over the world from embryologists so this will be a very important. Yeah, except
3: position. for russia yeah they, they're fine it's, well they, we know we oh, well know they, they won't know about it no no they, <laughs> they, don't they know, know but they don't give uh... Uh, well they they don't care okay Uh, uh, may I say two two things here Uh, the first one is uh, it's not too much to say about the preparation here because as far as all All our clinics are closed, or nearly all, because some of them are still in in the process of uh, stopping. Uh, But almost all of them are stopped for now, and all we can do for now is just to transfer the tanks, the duers, to another place probably abroad for some of them and then the other thing is just to keep the liquid nitrogen level at the uh, normal level so that's all that's all we can do here but as far as I understand probably some of the well uh well Lena she she may add something probably some of the directors or some management they try to start business somewhere abroad so they may plan something for for example but I don't know Uh, but in Ukraine for now it's it's nothing so uh, the whole branch of uh, uh, assisted reproductive technologies is stopped for now and all we can do all our preparations is just liquid nitrogen only all my knowledge all my skills everything I've done it's uh, completely useless during this time here so yeah uh, I'm trying to do my best, uh, f- try to find something to be helpful during these times. That's uh, that's actually everything I can say for for a, being an embryologist here right now.
5: <laughs> I, I'd like to tell you that a few clinics from Kiev start their job in the uh, north, north of Ukraine, for example, Lysida. Uh, some of clinic from Kiev uh, are moving to Slovenia, so yeah, that, that's, that's uh, our embryologists yeah. uh, will have a job
4: for for this time. It also should be taken into account that uh, actually Paolo is not allowed to leave country because he is a white male of appropriate age, and it's a war state in Ukraine. So I don't know. Maybe in exceptional cases, male embryologists may try to look for the job outside the country but now we are talking only about girls who are often refugees with children and they are also in the air because they don't know whether they should come back to Ukraine shortly or they should look for the possibility to get any job in any other country in order to provide their children their family and their husbands their partners who are there in Ukraine, of course, also without, without probably without jobs. So it's even more difficult for males in this situation because they they are not even allowed to continue their life dedication now because they're they are not only suffering from war but they are closed in a country because of wars.
3: Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, thank you for this remark. It's uh, well again completely actual and fair Uh, I'm liable for a a service Uh, so uh, probably I will who knows Uh, but for now uh, no one wants me and uh, probably I will interfere with a normal uh, soldier work because it's still work because I don't have such skills and they need to teach me first and it takes time and resources so uh, I will, tr- and still I'm in Kiev, uh, I, I'm i not going to leave this city, so I will try to defend it as I can, as I said, the best I, I can do. And uh, during this time, uh, I'm searching for uh, work near or close to my uh, home place where I live uh, just to be helpful to something probably related to biology or medicine or whatever I can be a nurse but in male version of nurse. Uh, and to help you to be just to be helpful here so yeah i'm i'm not trapped it's my intention to stay here for for this period of time uh, so uh, i wasn't planning to well when this started i i, I didn't plan to live here at the first place uh, I, I wanted to live before but well for now <laughs> the situation is like this uh, so yeah but for other males with that have useless skills during war they're trapped here that's true i never
1: thought of you as useless Buffalo. So I'm, I'm sort of dumbfounded i think charles and i are sitting here you know, no i mean I, yeah, i've I, told
2: him. I, I mean well first of all you know as far as like careers in embryology like all of you lot you will never go to waste mm-hmm. you know there'll be jobs just think of that on the horizon although how bleak it may seem and then secondly pavlo you can help out you know and you know better than anyone so you'll be fine
0: next we hear the clip from the main webinar with jack again introducing tim sharp tim has such an interesting background he was part of the uxb team and a bomb disposal expert and you'll be able to hear the previous i3 conversation jack refers to by checking out the show notes because we'll put the details in there i also like
1: to introduce uh, tim sharp who is a cryo storage specialist um, who has been on International IVF Initiative before, I think almost two years ago. I think uh, we saw you last, Uh, good to see you, Tim. Um, So you have been involved in cryo storage of special specimens and routine storage for uh, biological specimens for a long time, uh, uh, overseeing an enormous number of uh, facilities, I remember. Uh, Can you share with us um, when there are emergencies and certain
6: conditions that are not appropriate for for necessary for storage, can you share some of your experience with us? Sure, so one of the major challenges that I've run into in in conflict areas specifically is about the uh, resourcing of liquid nitrogen reserves. Um, That's always tends to be a challenge because supply lines are disrupted. And whenever you're looking at a commodity that's not readily used by other groups, um, it becomes very difficult to come by. So, you know, one of the main challenges is whenever you know that a conflict is approaching is to shore up where these resources may be. Um, that is one avenue to be able to continue to have liquid nitrogen available. But the other one is about conservation of the liquid nitrogen that you have. And is um, doing exactly what is recommended 100% keep the doers closed, do not interact with them just because the simple shaking of the doer imparts kinetic energy causes the liquid to boil off faster. Mm -hmm. So keeping them closed, using remote monitoring systems to be able to monitor the temperature is absolutely the way to manage it. Now, in my situations on moving things across different uh, boundaries, different countries and such, um, what I did find uh, in the earlier days was actually having enough of the paperwork with you to be able to cross the border, to be able to convince the, the, the border agents that you're uh, clear and that you're doing it for medical purposes. Um, this also helps whenever you're actually dealing with those that are participating in the conflict. Uh, the reason being is that most cases uh, military forces are not necessarily looking for you know, biologics. They may be inquisitive but they're wanting to assess, is it a threat? So if you can provide enough information to demonstrate that you're not a threat, um, it typically makes things a little easier. Uh, I wouldn't say it eliminates the risk, but it's definitely a very risky uh, enterprise in the first place. But um, it does allow you to, to kind of manage things through. From hearing other participants I I believe they're doing the best that they can under these situations. There are a lot of avenues in Europe to be able to provide resources and support in terms of liquid nitrogen and other areas. The challenge, of course, is the border. So I'm I'm certain that the Ukraine border is pretty open to having those resources and support cross. Um, It's just being able to identify that those needs exist for that nitrogen. So there are plenty of biobanking and biorepository groups in Europe that can most certainly provide some of those resources, liquid nitrogen, uh, to be able to help assist with the refilling of the doers. So that way you're not uh, just going to uh, a gas vendor anywhere uh, to be able to resource it so that you can medical grade. Um, So it's, once again, those challenges about sourcing it. I do know that... One of the challenges that you would have when it comes to conflict is that the doers do not look like normal things. So when you're engaged with military, when you're engaged with insurgency, they may assume that to be a risk and that's where the challenge comes in. It's really important to have anything you can to provide information, to to show that you're there for a medical purpose so that way you can help alleviate some of those risks that come along with that. I know being a former combat vet, one of the things that we look for is always about risk and trying to understand, you know, is this a threat? Is it a threat to myself? Is it a threat to our objectives? And if you can clearly show that you're not, then typically military personnel will leave you alone. So that's just some things to, to consider. Um, Dealing with the rest of it, it's really a challenge.
0: Now onto the after party. The session was over two hours long, so there was a lot to discuss, as you'd imagine.
2: Thank you for all the conversation we've had. I think you've told people very accurately and very positive what's happening there. Was the session okay, Pavlo?
3: Yeah, thank you for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to speak. There were two questions we haven't answered to about the chemical weapon, about shelling. So there is no such a possibility to protect our embryos from shelling, actually, or our cry storages. But the best way to do this is to prevent Russia from shelling us or prevent them from using the chemical weapon against us. So that the best option. You can be sure that the embryos will be safe as well as we, but I haven't had an opportunity to answer to this.
2: This is why, you know, often we have these meetings, it's recorded and we have them into the pod- podcast because, you know, not all the questions get answered. And, you know, perhaps that was a little bit tricky one. Okay, we can talk about that. I mean, they was talk about chemical, you know, what kind of chemical, you know, like damage could it be? I'm thinking and what, you know, and what Tim said was about these suspicious looking vessels. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, what happens? You know, you know really as, What do you think would happen if the the opposing side saw these things? You know, I mean, what would they think? It looks
1: like a nuclear weapon, a little bit, right? I
6: mean, it looks like, yeah. That very much is the risk um, because they're not normal, and the soldiers, when they see them, they and it just causes harassment. It causes a lot of investigation. That's why, you know, having as much information as much documentation as much as you possibly can to be able to show that you're supporting because they may open it, they may stick their hands in it. They may do a variety of things to investigate it. And unfortunately you can't do anything about it. So yeah, you you just can't say them go on, stick a hand into (laughs) it. Please (laughs) be my guest. You you may want them to, but... (laughs) But I, that, is the, that is the risks, is that it, it does happen. That's why, you know, it's a mixed, mixed blessing with the everything online capabilities with it being in the cloud, because it's fantastic because the data is conserved, it's available for the patients to use later, but when you're actually physically doing that relocation effort, you, you do need to have something to be able to get the soldiers, to get the, the participants to leave you alone uh, and understand that your intention is not to do anything to them, but to just move this valuable material. Yeah, sure. But with our storage is so huge.
3: So yeah. uh, as I said previously, you need to disassemble the whole wall of our clinics to get, to, to get them out and it's it's important you need to have a crane a huge uh, truck to exactly. put them on and to transfer them from to move them from kiev to the border this huge it's it's more than one ton of weight it's filled with liquid nitrogen so i i i cannot even imagine how how you can technically do this it's it's not easy
5: yeah, that's true that the doers look suspicious for the process of, uh, of just entering, going out of the clinic, just moving the samples inside Patients usually looking on this as, as this is something suspicious, but even more in the border. I've been traveling with the doers a lot all across the world. It's not that complicated through the road than in the air, but there is no way to do it on the air from Ukraine right now. So in order to come to the customs and to bring all the paperwork, doors need to be closed and locked with the locker with the special number. We are not allowing the any person who is not the specialist, the professional, the embryologist, to open this and to check it. Why should they check it? How can they check it? So that's why we are having all the the supportive documentation saying what is the kind of material inside, how many materials are inside, what is the weight of the container, who packed this, when packed this, who is responsible for import and who is responsible for export. And we have contact people from each side and then the, the person in the border can call. Either this is a contrabander or custom clearance or the policeman, anyone. They have the, the, the list of the people responsible for this, because this is the special medical transportation. That's why it needs to be supervised with the documentation being prepared in advance and during the way to be shown to the, to the responsible people.
2: How ready were you in the sense that, okay, um, in the history there was the incidents you know, there was the invasion of 2014, but how quick were you ready to take those notes? Okay, one thing is this, the size of the jewers and whatever, but how quick were you able to get so, staff, get yourself organized, to, you know, to actually get the paperwork or whatever you needed to say, let's move them, yeah. how quick was that?
5: Like we were very quick because we've been doing this uh, a lot. And we have that experience and we have the agreement in place with the customs, we have the cars being registered, like my car. It's a it's not my car, but it's from the, the company car, specially marked as the medical courier car. You can see it in, on the video. Mm. And it is in the list of the cars registered for the custom for crossing the border. So once we're all joined, we also did the same for his car. So we had the agreement showing to the to the customs. We are sending an email in advance saying there will be the medical translocation through the border for the purposes under the cooperation agreement this and that. So based on this, I should not stop on the line because while I will be stopping on the line on the first time I cross the border, I would be standing there for four days. So I just put the alarms, the, the light alarms, and I was just driving through. There were a lot of big cars like a tracks were avoiding people to to go across the line so they were stopping me i was getting out explaining what i'm doing and and what what for and then they have the, the, the ratio they connected one with each other and after explaining the first time they were just saying go 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 so i really passed really fast but in order of the documentation we just contacted our partner clinic in slovakia we said we need to relocate our storages they did the custom declaration. They need to send it from the Slovakian side to the customs. They need to receive it. It needs to be received at least three hours prior to the crossing the border. If it's not three hours before, we need to pay the penalty, but still we can cross, but we need to pay the penalty for the procedures. Also, we need to pay all the, um, the custom related, related expenses. Uh, and of course, the receiving clinic. In this particular situation, they were under the condition to understand this. This uh, what needed to be done, but usually it requests also like there is some commercial value of all these processes. Sure. Um, well, but in value? terms of the technical. Uh, support so we, we have a team in ukraine who helped us it was a custom broker it was our medical courier team um our medical coordinator myself who needs to sign the documents for for the for yeah. the distribution and the relocation uh, and then the supervising wow. person for the transportation for this particular transportation also it was me because men cannot cross the border they cannot go out and then a lot of work have been done by the receiving institution in the EU.
2: But with each time, was it easier? Did they recognize you and they say, "Oh yeah, it's you"? I mean, hopefully, yeah, you know, yeah, was it they, easier? They,
3: yeah.
5: Yeah, yeah. They were even joking because in in this particular, the first time it was almost empty. There were just three trucks and me and the the guys who are the, the trucking truck car drivers, like an all way doing uh, thousands of the kilometers. They were watching me. Like, what you are doing, are 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 they taking our? Are you taking our work right now? I said, no, I'm not taking yours. I'm just doing mine.
2: They thought you were hauling produce across the border. Okay, got you.
6: You know, when I was at the NIH, I did employ diplomatic pouch to be able to move things into different countries on several occasions. I don't know if that's a possibility for the Ukrainian government to essentially s- set that up so that you can transport to like S- uh, Slovakia or something so that uh, you don't have to go through the border hassle at all.
5: I'm not sure this is a good time for our government to to, to think about this right now.
2: Yeah, but Alina, um, yeah. Um, Lars, Lars Johansson, um, I think you've been dealing with him and, he, and he's been trying to find you a job. Is that is that correct?
5: Yeah, yes, he helped me.
2: Okay. I mean, I have a list of four other clinics as well. So, you know, like please reach out to myself and also other people who you think may be interested. But you know, I have those details of people that heard your story and do want to hear from you.
5: If there would be no support, like like I've got from Girol. And we supported each other and all our team. And then once we started to, to get messages from our partners, from, from individuals, from patients, from everyone, like we were just on this position of feeling like we have to do this. This is the only way, this is the right way. And if everyone would be just alone doing this, that would not be possible. So that's why I believe we need to communicate more. We need to, we need to think about some other options, create something, be flexible and uh, yeah a lot of a lot of future is ahead for all like
2: the russians themselves have got no interest in this and Mm. the ukrainians obviously were caught by surprise it's not anything that the people of the two countries want to have going on and there may even be in russia that they don't even realize what's going on i thought about asking a question but i i didn't want to um especially when people are talking about stopping You know, Russians to have IVF by not supplying them products, which, you know, is unrealistic. And and that goes against who we are. But I'm sure that there's Russians, isn't there, that have had IVF in Ukraine. I'm sure. I'm sure they must have popped across the border, wouldn't they? Possibly.
6: Probably. I mean, there's, I mean, they keep saying that there's a lot of people in Russia that maybe have family in the Ukraine. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, so I'm sure. And especially if, you know, like keep talking about through some of these videos that it's a lot cheaper. I mean, I'm not saying it's not in Russia, but you know, Mm. Ukraine seems pretty advanced with their, with IVF. So it probably
4: makes sense. Yeah, that's some of those
6: embryos that are in those tanks that went across to Slovakia. Who knows? Could be from patients that are in Russia. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, food for thought.
0: So please do check out the show notes to find all the references we've made to previous I3 webinars. And of course, to catch up on this one. As we know, there was great interest from those of you who were unable to attend live. We'll also make sure our email is there if you want to get in touch with us directly. Be sure to visit ivfmeeting.com where you can watch our back catalogue of webinars. Plus you can sign up for future ones, download our electronic membership card and find all our social media so we can stay in touch.